We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 83 of the That's So Mets podcast. As Joe and I sit here, we just watched Rob Manfred's presser that announced the start of the regular season of Major League Baseball has been canceled, is the word. The first two series uh, for each team for your New York Mets. That is, unfortunately, the opening homestand where they were set to host the Nationals for three games and then the Braves for two uh, and, and no plan, no idea, no strategy to make those up uh, to fit them in anywhere, but canceled as the MLB major league baseball, basically the owners and the commissioner and the players union did not come to an agreement at the randomly set deadline of 5 PM on Tuesday, March 1st, but the lockout continues and we are going to go through a lot today. We're going to go through the issues and why there was no deal made, the hurdles that they will have to clear to make sure that more regular season games are not canceled. And then as always, we will answer some of your questions on today's show. But undoubtedly, a dark day for Major League Baseball and just disappointing as a fan of the game, a fan of the Mets. Um, it's kind of hard to sit here and not be ultimately sick with what's gone on this winter and we'll get into our feelings uh and and basically our thoughts and everything today so joe let's bring in i'm not gonna ask how you're doing i think it's it's pretty obvious but i mean man we're, we just watched the presser we have not heard from the players yet but what are you thinking right now it's just such a bad day for baseball i mean la last night i was refreshing twitter with everyone i was following the laps around Roger Dean Stadium that the, the owners group was taking 14 meetings, whatever, all this reported progress. They stay up till three o'clock in the morning. I'm when I go to bed, I go, all right, I'm not going to wake up with the deal done. But surely they moved the deadline to five o'clock today. Surely they'll make a deal tomorrow if they decided to go from 10 a.m. to 3 a.m. the night before. There, like there has to be traction. And now when you look at, you know, what, let's use whatever terminology you want to use, the last offer that MLB was willing to make prior to this, like you said, self-imposed. But if you look at the calendar, even though it's a self-imposed deadline, they really didn't have a ton more wiggle room. Like, honestly, it has to be this week. Uh, but regardless of that, they, the proposal just didn't look like you know, it, it just it didn't look much different. Um, obviously, they, there was some give in a few spots. Like, I think the players would have accepted 700000 as the minimum salary. 
Um, I don't know, obviously, that for a fact, but I feel like they wanted the salary to start with a seven. And it's a significant raise from what the minimum was last year. So to me, I thought that was a good move by Major League Baseball. Uh, the competitive balance tax, that to me is that's on ownership. They thought they could get away with basically not moving the luxury tax thresholds. And they considered it a give to the players to basically utilize the same penalty system as the same, as the previous collective bargaining agreement. It's not really a give that's keeping status quo. Uh, so to me, that's where the owners, you know, within this proposal really dropped the ball is not trying to meet the players closer on the collective. Uh, I'm sorry, the uh, competitive balance tax and I'm team player. I'm pro player, but I'm also just, I'm going to look at this from all angles. To me, where the players were wrong in this in this situation that we're in right now isn't very much. But where I do see their fault was within the pre-arbitration pool. This is a newly established system uh, that both sides agreed was a good idea to do. I think MLBPA was overly aggressive in the amount of money that they wanted yearly for that pool. Because when you see that $100 million that they went down to 85 when you see that that's per year that's not over the life of the deal they want 85 million dollars per year thrown into that pool and to me for a brand new system that's being started from the ground up that's too much um is it possible that you know mlb is a little low at 30 million maybe i guess i mean i don't you know we don't fully understand the ins and outs of it but i think i think the mlbpa overshot on the pre-arbitration pool. Um, I think the MLB owners undershot on the uh, competitive balance tax, but a lot of the other things seem like they're mostly agreeable. So while, while they're far apart, it feels like they've hammered out a lot of the issues actually. Like it's tw- it's going to be a 12 team playoff, not a 14 team team playoff, which you and I were texting about last night and assumed we were going to have a debate about that today. But we don't have to because um, one baseball is not Just happening. And, yeah. <laughs> one, one, it's not happening at, uh, right now. And two, like, I don't I, I doubt you're that against 12. I, I think it was probably no, 14. No. Yeah. And it's just man, it's just so disappointing because the losers are the fans. Um, the losers are the stadium workers, all these people that rely on baseball existing for them to have a livelihood outside of just the players and the owners. So those are who are, who are losing here. Like you could be team owner, team player, whatever you want. The reality is they're neither of them are really quote unquote losing here. It's us that's losing. I'm totally with you. I think that, you know, and this is a Mets podcast and we are Mets fans and I think there is even a Mets angle to this that the Mets fan has been waiting for a offseason and build up into a regular season like this for so, so long and for all of the air to be taken right out of it. Like, I don't want the Mets to go open up on the road. I don't want the Mets to lose five home games. I don't want the opening day with DeGrom and then game two with Scherzer to be canceled at city field and all the excitement that comes with that, or now a bit of a, a dark cloud over all of it. 
So I think from the Mets angle, it's even more severely disappointing. Now, what I will say, because Joe, you do a really good job getting into the specifics of things they don't agree on, what side is maybe asking for a little too much, you know, which side should cave. Um, and I think you've been, you know, you've been fair on both sides. I think for me, what I came away with today, maybe because I'm so exhausted of the lockout itself and the details that come with it, but beyond all the issues baseball has in terms of the lockout, in terms of moving with the times and getting new younger fans, uh, obviously to support the game, all of those issues aside, I think baseball has a significant image problem and presentation problem due to the man they have placed as the commissioner. And if you haven't seen that by now today, I don't know when people will. And listen, I get it. Public speaking, it's not easy. Some people, because I, as I sit here and record the show, a lot of people are not happy with the screenshots of Rob Manfred smiling or the laughing. I, I am absolutely someone that understands People suffer, you know, in public speaking scenarios, people have anxiety, and sometimes those things lead to nervous laughter, nervous smiling. But you are the commissioner of Major League Baseball, and if you can't come out there today when the sport needed you the most and speak in a confident, charismatic manner, then I don't think you are fit to do this job. And right now, the sport needs you more than ever. This is why you have such an important role in this game right now. And this was embarrassing today, and it's been embarrassing. And for somebody that's reportedly paid $11 million a year, you got to be able to get this done in a better fashion. And it hasn't been good. It hasn't been good for a long time. But you come out and say that, the sports had huge revenue problems for the last five years in a tone that was blaming the pandemic. We're not idiots. The pandemic started two years ago as we sit here today. So five years, you, the hyperbole in that statement is everybody's like, what are you doing? Once again, I didn't think he got necessarily combative with reporters, but I definitely think, and I think it's a hard press conference because there's certain things you really can't speak on due to the negotiations. But just the overall presentation of manner of it uh, was a nightmare. There's, there's no way around it. And I get there's a lot of owners in this league, which is probably maybe the biggest foundational issue as a whole, that don't want to spend money and in basically, in a sense, improve the competitive nature of this league. But for the owners like Steve Cohen, how are you sitting there and you don't think it's just totally disgraceful and laughable? and that you have the wrong guy in place to do this job because you do, you are willing to spend money. You are willing to invest in the league, which is investing in the game. So for, we can talk about the luxury tax thresholds. We can talk about player minimums, but when you can't get the basics right of the person that is the commissioner of major league baseball, it just illuminates the significant problems you have beyond this lockout. It was not a good look, uh, this press conference for Rob Manfred. I think you you summed up 
a lot of thoughts about Manfred there very well. Uh, it was not a good look. Like you said, the public speaking, maybe it's a nervous tick. The laugh there certainly turned me off. Obviously, it could just simply be a nervous tick. I doubt he's actually laughing about the fact that he's canceling games. Totally. I, I, I surely would hope not. But that just rubbed me the wrong way. And part of that, I think, like you said at the beginning, is probably just because I'm just so so drained by this lockout. And it it's just it sucks because, you know, he's the commissioner and technically the commissioner works for the owners. The owners are his employers. So that's who he has to report to. But at the, in the same breath, the job as commissioner is to bring those owners together. That's what he's supposed to be doing. And it's clear as day that there is, you know, a split between the ownership groups within baseball. I don't know if it's 50-50, whatever the number is, but it's, Let's call it what it is. The teams that don't want to spend money, the teams that do want to spend money. I don't want to hear small market, big market. Like Pittsburgh is not a small market. They just don't spend money on their baseball team. So it's divided and he is not doing a good job of bringing those groups together. And that is a big reason why we are where we are right now, where, you know, I'm watching MLB Network. I watched his press conference. I'm right now watching Tom Verducci talk and the banner at the bottom doesn't say MLB and MLBPA agreed on collective bargaining agreement. Baseball's back. It says MLB will cancel the first two series of the 2022 regular season. And that falls on to me. It falls on everybody. It falls on both sides, not being able to find a deal. It falls on the commissioner, not being able to get his side grouped together. And we're in a spot now that, who knows when baseball is going to happen? Who knows when they're going to start negotiating again? Uh, I know Manfred mentioned that you know they can't have an agreement before Thursday because the MLBPA is going back to New York. Like he and he couldn't say when they would talk again, and that's the problem. You know, uh, Amir get, like a lot of players right now are going off on MLB and going off on Manfred, and you know I understand their frustrations. But you see a guy like Amir Garrett on the player side from Cincinnati who's like, don't leave the table. Let's figure this out. Let's talk. That's what that's what needs to happen here. Um, you know, they had the deadline for canceling, you know, the beginning of the season. Do I think they could have pushed that off a little more? Yes, I do. Do I think they could have pushed it off much more? No, I don't. You know, the calendar is the calendar. But the reason we're here is because Major League Baseball locked the players out on their own accord. They then proceeded to not have any meaningful discussions with them for 42 days. And, you know, then the conversations were just not consistent. It was make an offer, wait a week, make an offer. Like, there just was not enough conversation on either side here. And MLB should have been at the forefront of trying to figure this out. And they weren't. And that is a big reason why we are where we are. And, you know, you look at a sport like the sport of baseball is not growing in popularity. You know, it's being lapped by the National Football League. The NBA is way ahead of them. And you have all this stuff going on in the world like the pandemic happened. You know, I know it's you know, we're getting closer to the other side of the pandemic. But still, the pandemic is still affecting people's lives regardless, um, you know, not to get out of baseball. but Heck, who knows what's going on with Russia and Ukraine and what that's going to lead to down the road? Like all this 
bad stuff that's happening in in the world to people. Like baseball is meant to be an escape, and you're gonna tell us that you're canceling baseball games because of luxury tax penalties, or I'm sorry, luxury tax thresholds, uh, pre-arbitration bonus pools. Like it's the kind of stuff that you know, as diehard fans like you and I are, and uh, our listeners are. We're all prisoners of the moment here. And in the moment, we're super into all of these topics. You know, we we take a side, whether it's we side with the owners, we side with the players, whatever. Like, we're prisoners of the moment where we're really, you know, honed in on this stuff. When in the scheme of things, when they make an agreement five months from that agreement, we're going to forget the arbitration pool exists. We're going to forget what the minimum salary is. It's just stuff that we're focusing on in the moment and uh, yeah it's just man it's it's disgraceful it's you know i am one of the biggest baseball fans you're going to find and you know ultimately i'm going to be back whenever baseball's back we we know that much but man it, it it's just such such a lost opportunity to you know and all you had to do was make a collective bargaining agreement to have baseball happen like that's all you had to do and you change you change the image of the game. Like, like I said, if I was watching TV right now and the bottom said that they had a collective bargaining agreement, the whole perception is flipped. Whether you agree with different parts of the agreement, it doesn't really matter. Like baseball will be back. Instead, games are canceled, not to be made up. And we don't know when they're going to talk again. So we don't know how much further this is going to go. Cause clearly with this deadline, he was willing to cancel two series of games. So, you know, six games or whatever. All right. If there's not a deal by this time next week, how many more games are canceled? All right. You take it a week after that. At what point are we in May? It's not long after this. Like this is, this is, this is just a black eye for the sport. And, you know, if there are some general fans out there, some of them might not show up. Yeah, I think that's the issue is right now, as mad as we are, and this was the point that you never wanted it to reach, the cancellation of games or the schedule being altered. I think I think there are people that are surprised games are canceled. I would assume today there would have been an announcement, at least the schedule will, the start to the season will be delayed and the schedules will be altered. To come out and say cancellation uh, is just definitely a few steps above what I expected, and it's in this in a terrible, ter- terrible manner. And I think that you know it's it's unique in a sense. Like we sit here, Joe, and you and I are we're just not going to walk away. Baseball could start in August, and you and I will turn on the TV. We'll go to City Field. We will record the podcast all the way through then. But not everyone, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this pod are the same way. But what about? You know, the kid that is excited for opening day is has tickets and it's canceled. And how do you explain that in a sense where it's that to me is just turning off a generation um, in a way where it's it's not very easy to explain. And it's just such a bad look. And it's one of the many reasons that baseball is absolutely I don't like doing the whole like baseball is dying thing because I'm not a believer in that. I think it's been over exaggerated, but I think you'd be absolutely tone deaf. Like you said earlier, 
to not, football is lapping it. Football is its own machine. But obviously, the NBA. I, I listen before I covered the NFL draft full time and and was just doing it part time early in my career. Like I've truly worked in media as a producer and a lot of times in in social media aspects. And they just dominate the NBA. The NBA dominates in social media, and obviously the NFL is very good at it as well. In a way that baseball has not been able to figure out for a variety of reasons. So it's just piling on where I think if there was a sport that really couldn't afford this and definitely can't afford it to get any worse, baseball is it. And now all the eyes are on the, the patience is pretty much already worn out if this, because how this is dragged on, but it, it can get worse. I think that's what needs to be discussed is that, Maybe the worst of it is not over yet, and and that's not okay. That is, um, it's so significant on so many levels of where this can go, and it's just man, it's just tough, and it's just it is you know for me, the most frustrating part of it is, and I know you've highlighted this many times, is where was the urgency? Like the urgency that we saw overnight, Monday into Tuesday. And I was ironically awake for most of it because I had just gotten off the plane from Arizona. I happened to be up and I was like, all right, it's already this late. I'll follow this. The urgency into the night really did feel like there was optimism. There was a obviously clear message to get this done before the deadline. But why does it come to that? It's just and I know you always say deadlines make deals. Yeah, that's great. But deadlines make deals in a sense when you are at the two yard line. These are two groups that decided to not even kick the ball off uh, until the game was almost over. And that is just such a bad look on so many levels that it's, it's really tough to swallow that. And it's, it's a total slap in the face of the fans. That's really the point that I'm making. I think that the real reason is that these sides don't like each other. That's what I think it comes down to. They totally. do not they do not like each other at all. Thus, they feel no need to talk to each other any more than they have to. And, you know, they saw this deadline. They're like, we have to talk to each other continuously, so we're going to do it. So somehow this relationship needs to be repaired. And you know what? Canceling baseball games makes it even more difficult for mm-hmm. Major League Baseball to repair their relationship with the Players Union. They're take they have canceled, you know, obviously in the scheme of things, they've canceled six games or whatever. Still you know, money. Team. Still, yeah, money. It's still money. You're taking money out of their pockets. And I think Major League Baseball assumed that when it came, push came to shove, that the players would not be willing to miss a single game check. And, you know, as much as it sucks for us to the players' credit, they have said all along that they are unified. Um, that they are unhappy with how the last two collective bargaining agreements have gone. They feel that they uh, they've gotten taken advantage of in those bargaining agreements, and they were not going to allow that to happen this time, even if it meant missing some games. And to their credit, they they stood by their word. Um, that's obviously not a not a good thing for us, the fans, but they uh, they're at least getting strong at stronger as a union. The only thing is. I don't know how what MLB did and what the Major League Baseball players are willing to do is doing anything to help repair their relationship. And, 
you know, at what point, because like, like we've said, they're going to make a deal. Do they make a deal next week, two weeks, whatever, you know, feel free to pick your date when you think it's going to happen. There's going to be baseball. Like we're, we're not going to be sans a 2022 baseball season. It's just a matter of what it is. But I would ask the question to them, you know, post agreement. I'd be like, what makes you think that we're not doing this again in five years? Like, is this good? Like something needs to be worked out here between these two sides because you cannot have this lockout situation happening every five years, every 10 years. You can't, you simply cannot have it. So, oh man, it's, I'm riled up. It's, it's certainly, uh, it's tough. It's tough to see this stuff. And, you know, we tried to hold out hope, you know, we, we talked about these deadlines for the last month and a half. It's like, okay, we're looking at the end of February. All right, well, we'll get there eventually, and and they'll figure it out. We got there. We went past it. They didn't figure it out. And now, as a fan, you can do nothing but sit and wait and hope that these two sides are willing to get together at some point in time soon and try to figure out, in my opinion, you know, I'm certainly not in the room. I don't know if there's other things that are being disagreed upon. It appears to me the biggest thing is those two items, the CBT and the pre-arbitration pool. Lock your asses in a room and don't leave until you find common ground on those two things. That's what needs to happen. That is what is good for the game. That is what's good for the fans. And frankly, it's good for both sides. The owners are not going to ever make a deal that they're not going to win. The owners will always win. We know that. We've said that on this show. The players need to get a little more here from them. And if they do that, the players can feel like they won. The owners can feel like we're fine. And you move forward. So get in a room, figure it out, and don't leave the room. Don't, you know, yesterday's negotiation was exactly what should have happened. But the problem was the end result was not an agreement. And that's what needs to happen next is the same exact thing that they did yesterday but it needs to end with an agreement and has to end with an agreement soon. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. 
Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. All right. That's enough uh, lockout talk for a day. That's definitely the most we've done on it, almost a half hour. And, but it, on this day, you have to. So let's get into a little mini mailbag before we get out of here. And hopefully, my God, hopefully we have some kind of fun offseason again uh, in actual baseball starting. The first one from Clay. Rank these. I really liked this question, by the way. Rank these items in order of most okay with to you being least okay with. Seven inning double headers. The new extra innings rule, expanded playoffs, 12 teams he put in parentheses, pitch clocks, and the three batter minimum rule. Joe, do you want to kick this one off? Sure. Uh, so the thing that I am most okay with, so I'm going to go from most okay to least in, the, in that specific order. Um, seven innings double double headers is number one. I love seven inning double headers. Me I don't too. Want, I don't want them to go anywhere. So I love them. Keep them. Um, I'm going to go next with expanded playoffs to 12 teams. Very important that he put 12 teams in parentheses. 14, you know, you know, like I said, you and I had our back and forth over text yesterday. I was okay with 14. Not happy, but I would have been okay with it. I love 12. I think 12 is good. You expand. You get more teams involved. I think it'll be good for the game and good for the fans because now there's you know, a few other, a couple other fan bases that are going to get the opportunity to see playoff baseball. So that's a good thing. Um, next, I will go pitch clock. I think pitchers do take a little too much time on the mound and they've tested out in the minors and I've gone to minor league games. And, uh, and to be honest, I bought tickets to the Hartford Yard Goats opening day game because Binghamton's coming to town. So on April 8th, I'm going to watch baseball. It's going to be Mets baseball, just not major league Mets baseball, um, but the pitch clock they had in the minor leagues, I, I didn't feel like it made anyone rush or anything. I think the pitch clock is a good thing. Uh, then I'll go three batter minimum and then extra ring rule. I'm done with the runner on second in the 10th inning, throw that to the freaking trash play. Play baseball, man. Like, if you're going to have a 15-inning game, you're going to have a 15-inning game. That's the way it works. Um, so I'm not for the new extra inning rule. I don't really like the three-batter minimum, but I like it just slightly more than the new extra inning rule. So we align on this almost, I think, pretty much exact. And I, the one I do feel very strongly about on the good end is seven-inning doubleheaders. I have really come to enjoy them. When the, when I get like really excited when I know the Mets are playing a doubleheader and it's seven innings because I, the pacing of the game is phenomenal. It By the end of both games, it didn't feel like too much baseball. It felt like a unique kind of day that you know you get a handful of times a year. And I, I was a huge fan. And I think it, it's, it makes so much sense in terms of preserving guys preserving arms uh the entertainment factor there's so many reasons why it was good expanded playoffs i we obviously very much disagreed on 14 i think 12 is fine but on the bad end i'm with you i hated 
the extra innings rule. I didn't even like it when it was implemented because of the shortened season. Like I, for me, it felt nothing like baseball. It felt rushed. It felt fluky. It added almost too much new strategy in terms of if you're the team pitching, you just need to put in whatever strikeout guy you have. If you're the team on offense, put the fastest guy you can on second base and try to make contact. Some people like that. Uh, for me, it just completely like I'm a big hockey fan. Shootouts are fun, but man, there's times where you're like, I'd rather just see three on three overtime until people score. Baseball to me is the same way where like when you got to extra innings, it felt like a shootout where it didn't feel like an authentic, typical win or loss. And that can be very frustrating. So I'm with you all the way, Joe. I think that's, you know, what's funny. One new rule was awesome from the 2020 shortened season. And one was, was terrible. And you know, you give them the, you give them the, uh, the benefit of the doubt is there was reasons it got to that pitch clocks. Yeah. It has to happen. It doesn't need to be extreme. I think the three batter minimum rule. While I like the strategy of using relievers certain ways. It's another thing that the game was just getting way too slow and expanding playoffs. 14 was too much to me, but 12 is good. I think there is a lot of benefit to going to 12 opening up some kind of buy maybe. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And I think it really breaks down what should be kept and what should be ditched. All right. The next one is from Johnny. Where do you put the likelihoods of JD Dom and McNeil being traded percentage wise starting to think it's not the end of the world. If they all stay, JD and Dom would be great bench bats and McNeil's versatility is too important. I'll be a McNeil defender to the end. So I'm with Johnny. I'm definitely a McNeil defender uh, until the end. The likelihoods we've gone through this one a little bit, but percentage wise, I think JD has a 65% chance to be traded. I'd put Dom at about 40% and I'd put McNeil at about 15%. But once again, we have put in the caveat that, we don't know if there's any internal divide or, or, you know, problems with McNeil from an attitude standpoint on a player standpoint. So, uh, Joe, where are you uh, with these three percentages when the lockout, if the lockout ends? Yeah, assuming, like you said, that there's there's nothing too extreme about the clubhouse with McNeil stuff that, you know, we're not privy to that type of information, but, you know, assuming that they're not like this guy has to leave our locker room and, you know, we're going to market him the best we can and get the best value, but he has to go. Um, assuming that's not the case. And we're just purely, Hey, we're going to make baseball decisions. Um, percentage wise, I'm going to go with kind of some random numbers, but kind of all in the uh, vicinity of, of what you had. I'll put JD at 67%. I'll put like Dom, I'll put Dom at forty five percent, and I will put McNeil at twelve percent. I think McNeil ends up staying. I think Dom is so slightly below a fifty fifty shot to be moved, and I think JD JD is a more likely than not. But none of these are definite. Because I think Johnny makes a great point. I think we kind of underrate the possibility that all right, we don't see a starting role for these guys, so we automatically go. They're not going to be starters, trade them and get something else you need and get different bench players. But they could be, you know, JD and Dom could be valuable bench pieces and guys are going to get hurt. We say this all the time. Guys are going to get hurt. Things are going to happen. And, you know, what if Pete gets hit in the wrist by a baseball and he's out for five weeks? Dom Smith gets to play first base for a few weeks. Like these things tend to work themselves out. So it's not like I'm rushing any of these guys out the door. Um, 
because they could potentially be valuable bench pieces. Uh, but I would say I do expect some trades whenever this ends. And I would certainly rank them in the order that he submitted them, JD, Dom, and McNeil. I think McNeil's bit very unlikely. And uh, Dom's a little less than 50-50. And JD's, you know, a little more than likely. I think you make a great point in terms of we collectively as a fan base have probably began somehow we should not, we should know this by now learning the hard way, maybe undervalued the depth that these guys serve as, but obviously this is going to be a very fluid, quick moving market. When things open back up again, that, you know, if you have a couple of signings that you really like on the cheap, then you feel one of these guys is expendable. Two of these guys are expendable, but as the roster sits here today, I think you are right, Joe, that Dom is, you know, obviously you're selling low right now, which is not great. And he is insurance at first base, which is certainly key because of his glove, because of his his hot and cold bat. You know, McNeil, obviously, we've talked about the McNeil has a role on this team without an injury, which is significant. And that's why J.D. is so high, because the fact he doesn't have a place to play. And, you know, this uh, team that right now with Robinson Cano on the roster doesn't really necessarily have that clear cut opening for a guy that's just a pinch hitter, that's just a bat. That is, you know, you need to really fulfill some kind of role beyond that with Cano on the roster. So that that's going to be a topic when when the offseason starts again, that we are going to be covering as it moves and see where it goes. All right. The last question for today's show is from Nathan Hirsch, who said, given no changes to the current lineup plus bench, what would you prefer to see more regularly? Pete at first and JD and Dom splitting DH or Dom at first Pete DH. I'm kind of open on this one to more matchup based approach where if JD is healthy, I do think he's a legitimate power bat from the right side that he can split a DH role. Now that's a lot of variables to throw into this platoon. Yeah. Platoon. There you go. The old (laughs) platoon. I also think there is something to, because of the, I mean, the clout that he's earned on this team, if Pete wants to be out there and play first base, Pete's going to be out there and playing first base. I know that's like almost crazy to say in this age, because maybe it is not putting the absolute best person or best aspect for the team out there because of Dom's glove at first. But there is a mentality aspect to it that if Pete wants to play first majority of the time, I don't really see how the Mets come out on top of that argument. What do you think, Joe? See, if I'm playing MLB the show. Yes, different. I I am going to put Pete at designated hitter, and I'm going to have Dom Smith play first base because there's no player emotions in MLB the show. However, to the point that you made right at the end there, Pete doesn't want to be a DH, and Pete Alonzo is one of the you know leaders of this franchise, one of the best players they have. If he doesn't want to DH on a full-time basis, he ain't going to DH on a full-time basis, and you have to figure out the DH otherwise. I think to your kind of – the first point's better. Pete at first, JD, Dom, Cano. You want? I think you should definitely not leave Cano out of the conversation. The DH should be utilized in a way of getting – Different bats in for different matchups. Exactly like you said, like if you're facing a lefty, throw J.D. Davis at DH. He can hit lefties. It it would really fit. Uh, If you're facing, you know, a 
more experienced kind of breaking ball pitcher, you might feel more comfortable with Robinson Cano as a DH that day. If you're facing a, you know, more just younger fastball type right-handed pitcher, maybe Dom Smith is your DH that day. Uh, and then obviously you're going to have the opportunity to give Francisco Lindor a day, quote unquote, off, but it just means he's just not playing the field for a day. Um, same for a Starling Marte, a Brandon Nimmo. Like I would have the expectation if not only as kind of what I think Buck is thinking, but frankly, if I were in their shoes, almost everyone would have some DH at bats this year. Like it should be the opportunity to get, you know, most players the opportunity to be in the lineup and, you know, give them a pseudo break by not giving them a day in the field. Uh, but that's kind of a much expanded version of the question, but certainly option one is what I think makes the most sense just from a team building standpoint. And I think as Pete gets older, right, he's got just turned 27 this offseason, still a really young guy. There is, you know, somebody will have to have an honest conversation with him, and maybe that is Buck, to say, hey, man, like, you're our first baseman. You are going to play first base a lot, but take the opportunities at hand to rest from being out in the field when you want them, not just when you need them, but when we kind of, you know, they have obviously a lot of sports science people on this or in this organization that can break it down a lot more clear or maybe even more complex than I, but I'm sure there's so much studies on this of guys and the, you know, when you're hot, you're hot, but it's it's, baseball is tough in New York in the summer, man. It's hot. You're traveling a ton. There's a million games. I think he'll have to, it'd be great if he does become a little bit more open-minded to man, you're not going to be at first base 155 times throughout the season, like 120. Can we, can we agree on that? 110 take the rest scale back a little bit and and joe this is i'll leave it with this this is always fascinating to me we've seen pete be a guy for all of his greatness and i love the guy when something goes wrong in the field he wears his emotions on his sleeve like unlike anyone i've ever seen that it can carry with him other places hitting approach you know, trying to make up for it with one swing. So I'm not, Pete's an adequate first baseman and props to him for getting to that because I don't think anyone ever expected that from him. I certainly didn't. I always thought he'd be uh, a problem there below average. And I think he has shown that he can at least be mediocre, which is saying a lot, but I do think there are significant benefits of him being a little bit more open-minded to DHing, even if it's 25 to 35% of the season. I think he should, I think he will be open-minded. I think he just basically, I think his message was, I just don't want to be the DH. Um, I certainly think, I don't think he's the kind of guy that's going to, you know, fight with Buck Showalter if he shows up and the lineup card says he's a DH that day. But I think he just wanted to make it abundantly clear that he's a first baseman and that's what he he wants to do. Yeah, for sure. And he should, like, like you said, when he was coming up, I called him a DH early on in his minor career. I was like, this guy is just not at all a first baseman. And he's made himself into a major league caliber defensive first baseman. Not the best in the league, not the worst in the league, but just just great growth that Pete has had defensively. So 
yeah, I think he, he'll he'll get his reps at designated hitter for sure. It's just a matter of how Buck Showalter wants to kind of strategize it and how often Pete is open to it. All right. So on a sad day for baseball, uh, that is our show. Joe, any closing thoughts? This was episode 83, uh, another no number show. No one on the Mets has ever worn number 83. And uh, nobody on the Mets will wear any number in the big leagues until this lockout is resolved. So closing thoughts, episode 83. Yeah, it was uh, certainly a show of passion. So I hope I hope that all shine through to you. Uh, just, you know, we all feel exactly what you're feeling right now. Um, but what I what I did want to do is, you know, the the MLBPA released a statement and I figured I would read that on the show. So that way, if. You know, some of you are not on Twitter uh, that listen to this show. You at least can know what the MLBPA said. And this is from uh, from them. Rob Manfred and MLB's owners have canceled the start of the season. Players and fans around the world who love baseball are disgusted, but sadly not surprised. From the beginning of these negotiations, the players' objectives have been consistent to promote competition, provide fair compensation for young players, and to uphold the integrity of our market system. Against the backdrop of growing revenues and record profits, we are seeking nothing more than a fair agreement. What Rob Manfred characterized as a defensive lockout is in fact the culmination of a decades-long attempt by the owners to break our player fraternity. As in the past, this effort will fail. We are united and committed to negotiating a fair deal that will improve the sport for players, fans, and everyone who loves our game. So MLBPA has made their response. And now I'm looking at my wrist that doesn't have a watch on it, but I'm going to pretend it does. The clock is ticking even harder right now because they canceled games today. Let's get back to the table. Let's get back talking, you know, let kind of cooler heads prevail, I guess, for a day, because certainly, you know, MLBPA is traveling back. But let's get back talking. Let's find this common ground. And, man, I don't want I don't want baseball to not start until May. So let's get going. And, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully at some point soon we can have an emergency YouTube that baseball is back. The Mets signed this guy. The Mets traded for this guy. And, you know, we could actually get excited about watching Mets baseball again. But for now, you know, just continue to stick with us as you got as you all have. And, you know, we'll we'll stay on top of all this stuff. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. We will catch you next week for episode 84. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.